Um, I feel like this is going to be possibly 45 minutes to an hour of me remembering that there's a microphone and needing to sit still instead of like shouting really loudly <laughs> about how much I hate this fucking TV show. <laughs> God, it was literally, it was last Monday. Because, you know, Sarah works in the living room, so I'll go five minutes before I need to leave the house, go be like, oh, goodbye, have a good day, I love you. Um, and she'll be like, oh, because it was Monday, are you recording this evening? I'm like, oh, well, I've not prepped, I've not read the thing, but maybe we'll talk about BBC Liam Liz. And I, did she even, I can't even remember if she asked a further thing. I just suddenly was just, going off really hard and was like and the thing of it like he said in an interview about I'm casting this person but they trapped her in her wheelchair against the wall so it was that <laughs> so I was just like after the five minutes that I should already be leaving was like you harness this energy but you need to go for your train <laughs> I was just like wow like because, you know, we'll be typing at each other in Caps Lock and Furious. And I know we're both, like, we've got the hive mind. I know we're both right there with the same energy. But it was the first time I'd, like, spoken it aloud. And it was just how it was, like, waiting to burst forth. And I'm like, and you'll never believe this other thing that he said. <laughs> just recreating the scene. My heart is pounding. <laughs> and I've never seen my levels on this podcast, like, be this high. <laughs> So maybe this is going to be the challenge that we set to ourselves today, mm-hmm. is that how how we can ASMR having this conversation. Okay. Yeah, that'll be interesting. <laughs> I'm going to be, I feel like when I talk quieter, the, vo- the vocal fry might be worse. So that'll be like the opposite of ASMR, but I'm going to give it a go. <laughs> it's just going to be the my constant like, I hate him. <laughs> Anyway, this is Bren Brackett. I'll start um, again. Yes, I'm oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, both of us got to clear our fucking throats 12 times. <clears throat> you just have to do one of those gross old men. <laughs> I hate those so much. And I did that directly into the microphone. You did. <laughs> okay, I, I think that we're good. Welcome to Bread and Barricades, Elena's podcast. I'm Nemo Martin, your host. I use they, them pronouns. And today I am so, so tired. And not just because I had surgery a week ago, but because I stayed up until 5am writing my second ever PWP. And I was possessed by a spirit, it seems, (laughs) because I wrote it for the first time in my life completely linearly. Um, That's never happened to me before. My thoughts, as I do have ADHD, do not work linearly. So who knows who possessed me? Possibly Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo is not the poster child of not having ADHD. Stevie, I would like you to know that I contained my raucous laughter um, to keep the uh, <laughs> ASMR going. This is Stevie, your secondary researcher. She, her pronouns. Um, took me a hot second to understand what PWP meant when Nemo said it in such a calm voice. And it was only halfway through the rest of the sentence that I was like, oh, this isn't to do with their PhD. I see. Um, I'm... (laughs) 
started. <clears throat> now we, I, I bring this back. <clears throat> the thing that is making me tired this week is that Black Friday has happened and mm. I've never had so many orders at work, so mm. much latex. And I know that that's dated when we recorded this episode, but I've decided that that's my kink is unrelentingly <laughs> dating each of these episodes. Very nice. Thank you. Um, was there a particular theme that was prevalent in this year's Black Friday sale? A lot of two-way zips for that easy access. Hmm, interesting. I feel like last year um, there was a surprising amount of uh, nurse uniforms, despite not being in the COVID times. So, Yes, everyone who wanted a nurse uniform bought those at the beginning of the quarantine. Mm. We've made all mm. of those. If you wanted one, you already own it. Mm. Yeah. So... Talking of nurse uniforms, today, in, a, in an unlikely special, possibly the first special that uh, is not Stevie orientated, because Stevie is now doing two jobs, <laughs> I am going to be leading you down the dark and dismal mind of Andrew Davies. And we're going to do it in as calm and collected a manner as neither of us have managed to this point. So we attempted for about 10 minutes to um, record this episode, but I genuinely, as somebody who has to edit this episode first, could not imagine listening to the energy that we were giving off and being able to understand a single fucking word of what I was like. I was losing my train of thought midway through my own sentences. I could not be coherent. Like, I need to speak loudly and with energy. <laughs> with passion! And that is one thing that Victor Hugo does know how to do. <laughs> so I guess if you um, give us a Kofi, we will uh, send you the the ASMR five guy? minutes possibly of ASMR that we tried to do. Or maybe I'll put it. Yeah, yeah. Send, send us send us some money and we'll we'll release the cut. But I need to start again because yeah, <laughs> that is not us. <laughs> Just a horrible cackle every three minutes. Woof! Let me tell you. Les Mis is a six-episode miniseries written by Andrew Davies, directed by Tom Shankland. It was between 2018 and 2019. It was on BBC and on the PBS, uh, PBS's Masterpiece. And um, in all of the interviews, and, and Tumblr was quite on top of the interviews before it came out, uh, Davies kept saying that he was a defender of Hugo's text, that he had to rescue it from the clutches of the awful musical, me quoting there, um, with its doggerel lyrics. Because um, he wanted to make a TV show that taught fans of the musical how much of Victor Hugo's original story never made it into the musical. And he claimed that he had done it properly, which is absolutely hilarious, <laughs> considering how much I... Ah, hmm... Okay, it, today we're going to be talking about how Andrew Davies and the BBC um, are racist, transphobic, homophobic, um, have never had a conversation about social inequality in their life, are misogynistic, and who uh, don't understand the plot of Les Mis, <laughs> and that it is a story about kindness. Um, oh, throw so. some ableism in there too. Go on. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I completely forgot. Stare that, that in. Yeah, you know, because you can't have, you can't just have one phobia. You have to have all of them. So we are going to jump off with the idea of colorblind casting, which is um, the idea that white people can cast a TV show 
because they live in a post-racial society and believe that um, they can see the actors' talents and not their skin colour, um, which is a completely bogus way of working in 2020 because we don't live in a post-racial society. We live in a racist society and we live in one where if you don't be actively anti-racist, then you are being racist. And despite them calling this casting colorblind, there are no Southeast Asian actors, there are no East Asian actors, there are no Middle Eastern actors. Um, and so what they truly mean by colorblind is that they cast some black actors and some white actors, one South Asian actor in the uh, main cast, uh, cast, and patted themselves on the back for doing what is literally the bare minimum. They have a diversity qu uh, quota at the BBC. And yet their press releases around the TV show all said how diverse and uh, exciting the new TV show was because of their efforts. A point that I like uh, that I made at the end was that of this allegedly colorblind cast, only one person of color survives until the end and no black person lives at the end. Which is, like, you can't make it up. Like, you can't, you can't even make it up if you look at the people who live to get a happy ending. Even if you've given characters like Javert and Eponine and Tenardier, who are hefty, meaty roles, you can't look at the casting and who lives to be happy and peaceful and to say that that's not racist. That is not an idea that only white people can survive after black and Asian people uh, die to create this healthy society. It's so frustrating. <laughs> I guess it's art imitating life. Yeah, which is a really annoying thing because Andrew Davies, like, in, in all of these interviews was like, oh, you know, it's really easy to look around and see that social inequality still exists today. And like one thing he would, one example he gave was that uh, um, they went, uh, there was like a champagne lunch at, uh, to preview the episodes for, you know, the cast and crew. And he was like, as we were stepping into, I think it was like the BAFTA building or something, I noted that there were some homeless people outside in the rain and we just went inside and had our champagne lunch. And I just felt like there was nothing I could do. It was like, <laughs> my dude, like... What? You admit that in an interview? <laughs> he literally, um, let, let's, uh, let's find the exact quote so you, so you can tell that I am not. <laughs> People are taking to the streets in Paris right now, but the inequalities are here in Britain too. And do you wonder if anything has been learned? We had a very grand BBC launch in Piccadilly and it was pouring with rain and you had beggars sitting there on the wet pavement with nothing as we tiptoed past them in our best clothes and went in for our champagne reception. He seems momentarily troubled. There is a huge irony there. I see it, but I don't know what can be done. Well, Andrew Davies, I don't know. You could read Les Mis. <laughs> you could read Les Mis in which... A man does not simply just throw away money to poor people, like giving them 50p as he enters into the Piccadilly building to have his champagne reception for his <laughs> BBC TV show. But 
who actively tries to create a community of people who uplift each other so that homelessness doesn't exist in his... <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> he, he was on another podcast. He was on the Masterpiece podcast. And, like, one thing that really, like, hit me about about him... And, and I'm making this really personal. I, I realise that I... I'm aware that I said I hate Andrew Davies. I've never met him, you know. I only know him through the interviews and through his writing. But something that really struck me was that we laugh a lot in this podcast about cis het old white men. And let me tell you, as far as I know, Andrew Davies is a cis white het straight man who's 83 or 84, I believe, this year. And he very clearly sees the world in the way that he does and doesn't want to believe that anyone else could see it differently. There was, he, he says this on uh, his podcast. Um, my first encounter with Le, with Le Miserable was when I was a little boy and I had a book called Great Stories from the Classic and it was Little Petite Extracts. And it was a story of the bishop's candlesticks. And I saw this poor bishop. Here comes this terrifying figure who's hardly human. He is so rough and so rude. And I found it quite hard to understand the behaviour of the bishop and also the behaviour of Jean Valjean after the bishop had been so kind. You know, I thought surely he should have been terribly grateful. Instead, he rocks at the bishop. And then the bishop not only forgives him, but gives him more things. And that kind of puzzled me. But I wanted to, I don't know, preserve the sense of it and as it comes across in the book. I think of how frightened people are of Valjean because he's a man of extraordinary power and strength and he's so resentful against society because of society, what society has done to him. And I wanted to keep that frightening aspect of him. And it's like, you know, Andrew Davies, Victor Hugo wrote this book because of people like you who believe mm. that people who committed crimes or who stole things are inherently violent, frightening people who should be terribly grateful of any cash that the local bishop gives them and that the bishop should give him a, a good walloping for not understanding the message of Christ. It's literally that he missed the fucking first point of what it is that it's Jean Valjean is like this because of society he's angry because society has taken his little ball of clay and like mushed him into this shape and it is only through care that he can like actually recover from that like it's so like even in this where he's like Jean Valjean when he's with the bishop is so rough and rude and it's like you didn't read the novel he's so he's not rough and rude he's so polite and then he cries when the bishop calls him brother you you have read this book believe you bringing your you know as we all do bringing your personal beliefs into it and making it coloring and coloring the story but you're coloring it in the bigoted way like you are you are you are writing a story that is actively anti-kind. Um, he completely takes out any moment of kindness that Valjean gives to anyone else apart from monetarily. Again, believing that money, while money does fix a lot of problems and we should be redistributing the wealth, it, it's not, the story isn't, hey, the only good thing that Valjean does is like give children some coins. The story is he also makes them 
dolls out of corn husks and he teaches them about weeds and nettles and how to make nettle tea and stuff like that. Like, that's kindness. It is just a very unkind show to watch. Mm. And we clearly came out of it feeling unkind. <laughs> yeah. Because he said, you know, um, about the, the the people he saw on the street, the beggars he saw sitting there in the rain and he didn't know what could be done. And it was like, you have, you have a huge, you have an immense privilege in that you are writing a TV show for the BBC and that the BBC will and has, I think, asked him to write another show. He's, he's a prolific writer. He writes a lot of stuff for the BBC. Um, he also wrote uh, Pride and Prejudice, the one with um, Darcy coming out of the lake. <laughs> you know, he, he has this clout. And so he could make a TV show that was radically kind and that helped educate other people in how to be kind to others. But he chose not to do that. He chose to make it unkind. He chose to make it in something that promoted violence against others and who promoted individualism and who promoted the idea that to be happy, a girl has to get married and be pretty and only care about that. And uh, that Valjean isn't nice to anyone. He's not nice to Fontaine. He shouts at her and he cusses her out and he like threatens her. Oh god, like, yeah, what? that was quite intense. That was yeah. yeah, one of the episodes that I was there for. That you're like, oh, okay, they've added this is this will be interesting. They've added some extra scenes of them actually because you know in the book they don't actually interact in the workhouse factory. Sorry. You're like, oh, let's see where this is going. You're like, oh, he's awful. <laughs> and yet, we just like, because, you know, women just like, what they actually want is a really brutish man. So, like, even though he's just like, just like, I don't know, his body language, the way he's speaking to her, they're still making eyes at each other across the factory yeah. floor. And you're like, what is happening? <laughs> While her friends are like, ooh, I'd go to Muncha um, Madeline's bed. And it's like, what? Yeah, like, oh, he clearly, look at, he's make, making eyes. He must, like, he clearly likes you. And you're like, because he just was so rude to her and, like, had a go at her. And... These girls are, you know, in their early 20s, maybe. And, you know, Dominic West, he's he's not a young man. He's maybe in his 50s and he, he doesn't look young. Like, it's such a written-by-an-old-man TV show where it's, like, clearly these young, pretty women in the factory, like, would die to be in Valjean's bed. And it's like, I don't think that they would. <laughs> I think, in fact, that they would avoid looking at him in case he thought that, like, they were trying to attract... Like, oh, you know, in the 2012, in the musical and stuff, when, when they've made the foreman into a man and he's, like, really mm. lecherous. Like, that's who Valjean is in this show. Yeah. He's the oh lecherous, like, <laughs> foreman. Like, if Dominic West's character had, like, gone onto the factory floor and started pinching bums, I would have believed it because he's so not great. He's so unkind. And, <laughs> like... I'll get onto this later, but one thing that Andrew Davies said was that he was like really puzzled that both Jean Valjean and Javert didn't have a sex life in the novel. And he was like, these two 50 year old men who don't have sex, like they must be uh, twisted and evil and possibly hum uh, homosexuals. And it was like, oh, great. 
cool. We, we love to see that. Um, and there's one scene where Valjean and Cosette are shopping and Valjean is like sitting there as Cosette is like behind this like curtained off dressing room. And the 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 dressmaker comes out and she's like, um, oh, it's nice to see a, a man treating his woman. And he's like, oh, I'm her uncle. And the dressmaker is like, oh, uncle, I see. Clearly <laughs> indicating daddy kink, which is... Uh, uh. And then Valjean is like sitting there and then it the the camera point uh, point of view is if we're in the changing room with Cosette looking at our Valjean. And then he like looks up and then the camera changes and you can see Cosette like getting undressed. And in the script, it says like um, Valjean like sneaks a look um, and then feels slightly guilty about it, but not that guilty. He's a bit fucked up. And it's like, great, cool. So not only are we making Valjean this unkind, heathen, like rude and rough criminal who's poor, but also he has like incestual thoughts about his underage daughter in a dressing room. that's like one of those things that you're like you just didn't have to put that in the script you just didn't didn't actually have to do that you went out of your way you like you had 60 minutes of screen time and you decided to put three minutes of that to be incestual undertones for an underage woman and like okay let's say that Cosette was a man would they have put that scene in no, they absolutely would not. Like, they would not have teased that Valjean had feelings about his son. But it's okay because it's Cosette, who's a young, pretty girl, and, you know, um, he's a man, and they're not technically actually related. But then one thing that made me laugh, and I'm <laughs> reining it in a bit here, because this is a, in an interview... Uh, Andrew Davies said that he very much enjoyed writing the relationship between Bajon and Cosette because he has a daughter too, which just <laughs> alarm bells, alarm bells the entire time. That's one of those ones where you're like, and we're we're not making any accusations or anything like that. Those are just two things that he said. And, These are, I'm and- just laying all of the information out (laughs) for you this is the script that he wrote and here's the thing that he said about writing this show it's it's just like what why and okay so i I, (laughs) sorry i'm enjoying but they'll be like pause (laughs) (laughs) i genuinely i genuinely do feel like I'm um, one of those like rabid um, <laughs> angry white men like Trump supporters who have a YouTube channel talking <laughs> about how the libs are like killing America because I'm just like so red faced and angry right now that I'm caught, like I, I'm i gonna go I'm gonna briefly go back to race and then we're gonna talk about homosexuality um, race as I said no black person survives. Uh, Tanadier, who's played by Adil Akhtar, uh, does survive to the end. He is a brown man. He, he uh, says in an interview that he uses the words brown and Asian to describe himself. So that is how I'm going to be uh, talking about him. And he, even if we look at it like this, the two antagonists of the show are Mr. Tanadier and Javert. One is a dark-skinned black man 
and one is a dark-skinned brown man. The protagonist is Jean Valjean, who is a white man, and his daughter is Cosette, who is a white woman. Very colorblind. Mm, yeah, so co- so colorblind, <laughs> isn't it? And and both of them do amazing jobs in the roles that they are in. All of them does. The cast is a great cast. The problem is, as you can tell, there are two antagonists in the show, and they're both people of color who have to die or who who are evil. It would be a completely different show. Okay, let's say, so we have Adil Akhtar as Thénardier. Let's say that um, Jean Valjean was played by another South Asian man, uh, Hajaz Akram, and Fontaine Sayer Khan, and Cosette Jamil Jamil, and Marius Marwan Rizwan. Like, if all of the cast were British Pakistani actors, then Thénardier is being evil. And also, he's not just the Thénardier of the novel, by the way. He also... Um, attempts to bring Cosette into Valjean's room, sex trafficking underage girls. Um, His white wife, I will say again, he hits her and both of his daughters, um, again, loving the uh, white woman trapped in a loveless, abusive marriage to a brown man. When that's like, that's like, we've only just had this bit in the book. They for all that they are like we we get to see happening the one time that she's like oh no you're wrong you should go do this instead like she's enthralled with him and like their relationship like obviously it's like not a healthy one and Mm. they're both the worst but like they don't treat each other like that yeah like they absolutely don't like that is one thing you can say about them is that 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 just isn't a thing and it didn't need to be added so it's so insidious that it is added when it's a white woman and a person of color like you didn't need to make it more violent than it is yeah and it wasn't and that's not what their relationship is like at all that adds a different dimension to it that isn't there and and this is the point where i'll say like there is there is Andrew Davies, the writer, and then there's BBC, the production team, who includes casting directors and directors and, you know, a whole group of people. And so this is not me saying Andrew Davies wrote Tenardier for Adil Akhtar or for a brown man, a Muslim man, uh, an Asian man, but they read this script where Tenardier is an abusive sex trafficker and they went, hmm, Muslim man, yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna cast um, a brown guy in that role, and Mrs. Tenardier, yeah, she can be white. Like, that is the problem with colorblind casting: is that you are not addressing the institutional and systematic mm. racism that says that. However many people watch this show, probably I don't know, a couple of million, more than that, maybe people are going to watch this show and. He's not he's not coded in any way to be Asian, whatever that means. He's not coded to be anything but a French man. But you are still seeing an Asian man abuse his white wife and white coded daughters on screen. And we are visual people. TV is a visual medium. And it's so insidious to suggest that it's not a, vi- a visual medium, that it is colorblind, because apart from the ableist language of that as well, like colorblind 
to mean um, mm. uh, obtuse. You are suggesting that you can see these people outside of their skin color. Well, you can't, and you can't in an industry which where there is only one Asian person in a TV show, because then you are seeing that person as literally the only person of their ethnicity in the world. So he does stand for every Asian man, because he is the only Asian man. Yeah! (laughs) It adds, like, a whole dimension to Mrs. Tenardier, where, like, like, we're reading the book, and, like, I didn't watch all of the episodes, um, so I can't say as strongly as, like, you can, but it could be argued by someone who wanted to make that argument. They're like, oh, no, but she's only doing this and only being awful mm. because her husband is making her, like, is he's basically forcing her to do that. There's nothing she can do about it. She's just making the best out of a bad situation. Whereas mm-hmm. we know in the book that you're like, no, they are so well matched because they are both like this. Yeah. And, and like very neatly coming off of that um with the the color color blindness the colorism in the show is again off the charts like so they have uh three children in this show technically the two other sons are in it as well but we'll get to that in a second and the daughter that um mrs tenardier loves the most is eponine and she is the most closely associated with whiteness. She has bright red hair, she has the lightest skin. The second daughter, Azelma, has black hair, coiled like her sister's, but she is more coded to be black, a mixed race black person. And then the son that Mrs. Tenardier says, oh, I don't know why I hate that child so much, is the one that they have cast or styled to have Afro hair. And it's like, hmm, I wonder what you can see between these three children. There is no, like, you know, Victor Hugo doesn't give us a reason why mm. she hates, um, Gon- uh, not Gonte, Gavroche, um, apart from that he's a boy. But if you look at this TV show, you see a white woman looking at her son with an afro and going, I hate him, but I love my daughter with red hair. And it's how, like, how can you be blind to that? Mm. How can you, how can you watch that tv show and see this this small boy especially in the flashbacks he he gets a a bigger presence in the tv show um when cosette is a child and cosette is being abused and stuff and you know it's like us as the audience like oh child abuse oh no this pretty little white girl is being abused and then right next to her is this even younger black boy who is being abused to an equal degree but He's not worth saving. He's not worth talking about. He's not worth anything, any kind of respect or empathy or humanity. He is like both Cosette and Gavroche are used as servants by the Tenardiers. And it's completely ethically wrong for Cosette to be used as a servant. But uh, when it's Gavroche, you know, he is a little black boy. So nothing, nobody can do anything about that. It like... It's so racist. <laughs> it's like, and I'm sure this is going to come up like shortly, but every interview that Nemo was sending me as they were like doing research for this, for their paper, it was like, oh, actually every time, like, cause you know, we watched it and we were like, oh God, here is the things that we felt watching this. Mm. Everything 
that we learnt further. Every justification <laughs> that the show made for every choice they made, and they made a, a lot of them where they were like, oh, we did this because of this, actually made it worse. Where you're like, if <laughs> this is colorblind te- like, casting, this is worse. Like, actually, could you have maybe thought for a second, like, you saying, oh, we did this and we're so great for it. They're like, no, you actually made a worse thing. You made worse choices by doing that. Stop patting yourselves on the back, please. Like, like, yeah, like half of the, like, I feel like we would be, yeah, half as angry about it if they hadn't been so excited to be doing it. And it's like, <laughs> oh, look at us, guys. We're being racist. And it's like, yes, you are. Yeah, because we watched it and like, me, so me and Nima watched, I only watched half with them and like on a Zoom. So we're like chatting as it's happening and reacting that, these are all wee points that we'd be like, based on what I visually saw, because this is a visual medium, blah, 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 they're definitely thinking this, this, and this. But, you know, it'd be us being like, obviously, this is how we've read it. We're probably right. But, you know, conjecture. And then they turn around and like, actually, we thought more insidiously that it is not opinion anymore, where you're like, oh, you're just going to, oh, you're going to admit it. And wow, that's a, oh, Nemo's sending me, oh, no, Nemo sent me like 12 interviews. Oh, no, they just won't stop saying it. <laughs> I mean, uh, we're gonna jump around here because because the one that I can think of so clearly for that was um, on screen. So Marius's friends, Kulverek and Gronter, no, he said Gavroche. Words <laughs> in my head. Um, uh, Marius gets taken to this club called La Chaumière, L A space C H A U M I E with an accent R E. Accent. Um. And he gets taken into this club, and it's so like um, I mean, it the the set designer went Orientalism, got it, um, <laughs> and like all of the women in it are like people of color. There's like smoke and haze everywhere, and as Stevie loves loved to point out, had like these red lanterns that were paper lanterns and uh like metal like glass lanterns which are like you can't look at the screenshot and not be like oh um they're trying to make it look like a, a turkish club mm. or like um shisha house or something like that you know and as he enters into the club on screen what we see is a person who is wearing a dress and they are clearly to me and i feel like that's a shit thing for me to say but as a trans person, clearly to me a trans woman, and or or clearly made maybe the better way to say it is that the wardrobe designer and the casting director had chosen this person and put them in this outfit and had set up the shot this way to signpost to the audience that this is a trans woman. And then behind her there are uh, two men who are touching each other lovingly. Um, that sounded a lot more erotic than it was in the show. <laughs> Tenderly is more, I guess. And it's like, ooh, look at these gay people. Oh, look at this club. This is where the gay people go to hang out. Oh, it's dangerous. Oh. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, this was one of the scenes where I was like, ah, okay, whatever. Um, and then went to read the script. And this is how Andrew Davies <laughs> describes the scene. There are people dancing, some quite normally, but one or two couples are indulging in shameless frottage. Frottage? There are several transvestites, but we don't see this immediately. 
we can see Marius' friends among the dancers, and now we can fully register the louche dancing styles and the same-sex couples, and also see pickpockets at work, male and female. A slender hand slips into a pocket, comes out of a wallet. The wallet is passed from hand to hand. Marius's shocked gaze, but Marius is being observed as well. Quite nearby stand a couple of menacing heavies. One gives him a little smile and shows his knife. Marius is horrified. Is he being threatened, or is this dandyish thug inviting complicity? And it's like, <sighs> I'm sure that people listening to this show don't need to be explained why. Uh, in 2018, this is the shooting script, by the way. This is the script that is given to um, the cast. So this has made it through a first draft, a second draft, probably five drafts before it even gets to... Um, the director's hands, right? And yet the BBC have not chosen to look at the scene and gone, hey, Andrew Davies, um, just so you know, uh, we actually aren't allowed to use the word transvestites anymore. Um, that's actually mostly considered a slur apart from the people who use it for their own identity. And also maybe don't put same-sex couples and pickpockets in the same <laughs> sentence because it kind of implies that the gay people are criminals. Um, those would be my notes maybe in the but, first draft of the TV show. <laughs> but Nemo, they started it by saying there's the Red Lanterns, which means when you're white and especially English, I would know. That means exotic. So everything that's going to be in this scene is going to be, ooh, exotic. And it, like, you, you made this point, actually, where you were like, um, there's several transvestites, but we don't see this immediately. And I was like, uh, like, after you said that, uh, you like pointed it out of the like, we don't see them immediately. And I was like, yeah, they're not doing anything. They're not. They're not dancing. They're not anything. They're literally like existing. Just, just exist. But like uh, in the TV show, she's just standing, and it's like she is there. And these this same sex, who this gay couple as well, are a couple like a white male male couple who I am going to assume are cis. Um, just because BBC, and it's like they'd have said in that script if it was otherwise. Oh yeah. <laughs> And it's like they they are just there for an audience to stare at and to be like, yeah, that's a couple of freaks and weirdos, isn't it? This club isn't a normal club. Like, if they were the pickpockets, which would be a whole nother thing, but like, then you, you know, then you'd be like, oh, this is why we're like, oh, now we see them. It was like, oh, just, just that they're there is meant yeah. to be enough to invoke that like <gasps> reaction in us. Yeah. It is shock it's shock horror at seeing a trans woman in in your your period drama your BBC primetime period drama includes a trans woman. Does she have lines? No. Uh does she have a storyline or a human beating heart? No. But is she wearing a dress and clearly a trans woman? I think you'll find. Uh yes. <laughs> I, I actually I kind of want to Google who she is and maybe see if uh, we can talk to her. Mm. Uh... <laughs> I, want, I want her and I want their. Uh, we are the pinnacle of spearheading the uh, <laughs> fight to get more. Um... They were just like he was so proud that basically they'd cast 
a character who's a woman in a wheelchair that they were like, we're, what, mm. it was, what, what was, the, what was the goddamn language? <laughs> Because I mean, I, I have the quote. I have the quote mm-hmm. somewhere. It's uh, I'm like scrolling desperately to find <laughs> You're like, my so much my... bullshit that he said so little yeah. time. Yeah, every time I find a quote, I'm like, is this it? No, it's just another piece of other bullshit. The BBC has brought Hugo's novel right into the 21st century, according to its director general Tony Hall, with one of its most inclusive casts. But yeah, so like we read that article and we were like, oh, who was um, what character was that? I didn't notice i guess is that good that we didn't notice but then is it like drawing attention to the fact that you know does it count the disabled yeah like... does it count if you've like so we we're like okay who is it and we we're like okay this character okay let's go like find her scene You're like oh so it's the woman who was it it's either episode one or two and she's looking after baby cosette and she's fontaine's landlady and of what I remember, the only scene we really see her. So <laughs> this is going to be a hard, this is an audio medium and this is a visual <laughs> moment. So imagine there's a corner of a room next to a staircase and she's in that corner and there's a table immediately in front of her and on the floor next to her, right next to her, is the big bassinet with the baby in it. Immediately there are stairs. There's like no, there's no space around her you know when you're watching everything is heavy and wood like really thick heavy wood so we when we you know when you just watch that scene you're just like okay yeah she's just like sat behind just just the landlady sat behind the table and then it was reading that they were like we're so pleased look what we've done we're so diverse she's we've made her this wicker wheelchair and you're like you that actually is worse because you've trapped this actress in a corner with a fucking huge table, a baby, and a staircase, there would be no... I, like, if we are wrong, then someone mm. please let us know. But I can't imagine there is an easy way to maneuver out of this setup. Yeah. And there would be no actual reason... If this was a real woman living her real life, there would be no reason to go out of her way to make it so difficult for herself to need to get out of this corner that they've literally barricaded her into. That's the theme of this lame maze. We've got to barricade her. <laughs> it, it really is that, like, they, they in, in the same way that they claimed that it's, like, you know, uh, colorblind casting, they were like, oh, you know, we've cast her despite her disability um, and, like, put her in a corner. And, that it, yeah, it's like, but that is being ableist because you are not creating a world in which she can exist as a human being with a disability. The, 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 reason why, the reason why people are disabled is because they are disabled by a society that does not provide access to people of all abilities. And so you have disabled this woman by putting her in a corner without a physical way to escape from that corner of her own volition you didn't have to choose to have her live in a house with so many steps (laughs) or you and you didn't have to do this setup you didn't have to hide it's not clear from like just the the screen whether she is actually in a wheelchair or if she's in a chair or if the character is supposed to be supposed to be in scare quotes disabled um or it disabled in the same way as her actress is. So why 
why make it such a big deal in a casting, in a press release? Like, you would expect her to be, like, Fontaine or something, given the, like, the name drop of her actress in the in the thing. But no, she also, her character, by the way, I don't know, Stevie, if you know this, that she didn't have a character name. Her character name is Concierge. No, she didn't I... even give her a fucking name or, a, like, plotline or lines that anything other than how are you today this this version of Les Mis is literally the textbook that you know when like the proper word for shitty people who are like people only are putting so many people of color and queers and disabled people in media to meet a quota and you're like no and then you watch this Les Mis and you're like oh no <laughs> this is what those people can now wield to be like look how proud they are that they've met these quotas oh have you done anything good or interesting with that oh no you've not okay oh stevie oh they did um here's a quote from uh a person on twitter i'm not gonna give their name i'm not gonna give them the 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 the, the clicks um i saw a version of les mis javert was black victor hugo would be amazed Everything's screwed up with BAME now, to the point of incredu incredulity. Uh, another one. So this enforced diversity quota is an anti-white and demonstrably pro-ethnic. Diversity isn't skewing the population, it should reflect it. 20% does not. I mean, could you have someone black up for a part these days? No. But a black Javert is okay and name is, is fine. Really? Time to defund the BBC. Oh my god. I Like, yes. Uh, defund the BBC, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, you're like, actually, yes, they did do the bare minimum of having some people of colour in the show, but actually they used that to, uh, what was the word that person, how did that person put it, of like, uh, what was the beginning of that quote, sorry. I was thinking my point and then forgot the original line. Um, and fourth diversity quotas. Then the next bit. Just read me the beginning uh, again. Anti-white and demonstrably pro-ethnic. Yeah, uh, no, they literally put people of colour in this to be like, no, and look how pro-white and anti-ethnic <laughs> groups we are. Yeah, literally. Like, actually, sir, you didn't watch the show? Because if you did, I think you'd be very happy with what you saw. Yeah, like, exactly. Okay, the title of... I forgot to say what the title of my of my essay was, but um, nobody... My, the title of my essay is Nobody Wins When the BBC Makes Diverse, in scare quotes, content. Because it really is. Like, neither they nor we were happy with no what one. they created. Because the BBC is so adamant that they have to be this, like, um, centrist, impartial. Mm. Like, the BBC, As like, prides itself on being impartial. But yeah, impartiality is the idea that you, when it comes to impression, it, it, oppression, you can't be impartial mm -hmm. because impartiality to oppression is upholding <laughs> oppression. Like, <laughs> when you were over on the bench... We what makes you better than Nazi Germany? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like, and the with, with Javert, like they, you know, everyone on Twitter, even like liberal people, maybe especially liberal people, were like, "Oh, cool, Black Javert." And I know that I have also said, you know, Black Javert, and like everyone is seeing this character not as Javert or Inspector Javert but as Black Javert because of David Oyelowo 
but but because they're so like oh it's an impartial tv show and, and because andrew davies definitely didn't write javert to be a black character but then he put him into a scene right where the first time we see javert interact with any other police officers he walks into this room of entirely white men and they all stop what they're doing and look at him and then when he's like oh i need to go and catch um this criminal i think that he's you know, Jean Valjean, um, the white officer in charge, like, cusses him out. And it, like, cuts to a man, a, a, another cop, like, um, stood against the table with um, his baton in his hand, like, going thud, 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 clearly, like, threatening mm. him. And it's like, you have given us nothing to suggest that there is any reason that these people are antagonistic towards Javert, other than that he is a black man. And then you set up that, so he then goes and catches, you know, Jean Valjean, and he, the next time we see him in this police house, he is at the top desk, he has become the, like, inspector, he has become the big man. And it's like, he has only been able to rise in this black society, in this white society even, sorry, by doing this case. And so his entire, like, um, safety in this world as a black man is based on Valjean being caught and so what this show becomes is a black Javert who cannot be a participating member of society without his his humanity being at risk because of his blackness because the second that Valjean does escape he is at risk of becoming just another black man and not a policeman anymore because he has failed in his duty and so doesn't deserve being in the white society mm. anymore. Which, like, would be maybe an interesting, you know, point to be making yeah. in anyone but else's hands where you're like, yeah, okay, he that would add this other element to his, like, why is he so doggedly chasing after Jean Valjean that you're like well in this this that you've just said you're like yeah of course he is but that's mm. not explored in any actual helpful way yeah. through the show that's like you being able to be like well this is what would be going on and what he would be thinking that you're like yeah that makes sense but that's not anything useful the show did with it so they don't get to have that be what they were doing exactly exactly yeah and 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 that um, I think we've talked a, a bit before about how um, uh, Victor Hugo uses physiognomy mm. and uh, phrenology. I think it is. Yeah, I think so. um, which is they were their pseudosciences basically that say that you can tell a criminal by his like features and like um, criminals are born differently and look a certain way debunked uh 100% debunked and also one... is the reason why scientific racism became prevalent mm. because they basically just went oh it's black people who are criminals mm. oh okay that makes it easy <laughs> yeah like debunked now but was very much believed mm. in the norm when it came about but this is the first time that any Javert like Javert in the novel does not like use phrenology or um physiognomy as um, a way of catching criminals. Um, Victor Hugo mentions it, but it isn't a trait that Javert has. 
and no other Javert that I know of in any other production, um, whether they be any race, has ever been given this um, like hobby, I guess, mm. or this before. But this Javert, Black Javert, is literally pioneering on screen scientific racism it's so like i i made this point in the in my essay which is like i don't think that they did it on purpose i don't think that they were big brained enough to be like oh we're gonna make our black javert the person who pioneers the science that says that all black people are criminals because of their faces but because they didn't know that this like they clearly they couldn't have known that this the reason why racism is so codified and why things like um, the Holocaust and um, racial segregation in America and stuff like that was so accepted is because of this scientific racism. And they gave it to their black character. Yeah. You can't, like, you can't, you need to know these things if you're making a TV show and putting that in as his, like, fucking way of catching criminals. Yeah, and if they did know, and, like, I... This is like some serious, like, yeah, you being like, they're not big brained enough. You're like, and this is us giving you the fucking benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. I hope to God you didn't know because it's, if you, if someone did know, it's so unbelievably unacceptable. (laughs) You're like, you better have just been too goddamn like, oh, this will look cool. And he can hold these calipers and like, that's a prop. You can be doing something with your hands. Like, yeah, that, that better have been all it is. And it's still you would the worst. Better be BBC. You would better not have known. I yeah, like you, you know, because it's an academic essay. I do have to do the whole like, and I don't blah blah blah. blah mm. You know, I, I'm not saying that they blah blah blah. blah but if they fucking did, <laughs> imagining in a world where they did, here's what <laughs> I'd say. Yeah, <laughs> like and um. So there's a character called in the novel that we haven't met yet on this podcast called Montparnasse, and he is one of Thénardier's men. And he is one of the only other named black characters um, on the show. And Montparnasse in the novel is literally, his, his defining trait is that he is a dandy who loves being dressed up. And the only reason that he's a criminal is because he wants the money to dress up prettily. The quote is... Finding himself pretty, he had wanted to be elegant, and, well, the first form elegance takes is idleness, and the idleness of a pauper means crime. So, yeah, he look, he finds himself pretty, he wants to be a dandy, so he has to do crime. Because be he's hot, do crime. Himself. Be hot, do crime. The Montparnasse of the TV show, and, and this is another one where it's like, BBC, you better not have fucking known what you were doing, because whether the casting came first or the script came first. Montparnasse is played by Jermaine Hunter, and he is literally the worst dressed in the group. He (laughs) doesn't wear a shirt. He wears a waistcoat that's, like, cut off so it shows his tattooed stomach and his, like, big arms. And he doesn't wear a cravat. He doesn't wear a coat. All of the other gang members, they look like normal human beings in normal clothes. And then Montparnasse comes out with his dreads and his like gold teeth. And he like hunches over when they're all like standing up normally like human beings. And it's like, oh, cool. So you've coded the only black man in this gang as being the like disreputable, animalistic 
Savage. BBC, did what came first? Montparnasse being this way or Jermaine Hunter being cast as Montparnasse? Because you, either way, actually. There's no either way, it's racist. <laughs> there is, it. <laughs> I. <laughs> So there's a meme from Family Guy. Um, it, it's around quite a lot on um, Tumblr, and it's it's an, from an episode where um, the main character Peter Griffin dresses up. He like finds interest in Islam, and it's because he's made this new friend who turns out to be a terrorist. And so he's like doing the getaway driving for this like terrorist cell, and he's like dressed in. Muslim clothing, which includes a fez, and he is pulled over by a cop, and this cop holds up this like um, card, and it's got like six different skin colors ranging from light to dark, and the first three light skin colors say okay, and the second three darker skin colors say not okay, and the cop is obviously looking at Peter Griffin and going ah. You may look like a Muslim, but you are lighter skin, and so you're free to go because you're not suspicious. And like I said, like I said, only one person of color survives the show. No black people do. And if you if you were to hold this card, this like okay, not okay card, up against the cast, I kid you not, <laughs> everyone on the the darker skin color chart is an evil savage scary man apart from one woman and that is Jean Valjean's housemaid servant lady Toussaint who is a like joyful black lady who only job is to serve Valjean and Cosette and to be like how was today sir oh let me get your coat sir nice like <laughs> We've not even got onto Javert being gay. <laughs> We've not even got onto Javert being fucking gay. Or I, you went really robot there. I'm excited to see whether the that was um, on my end or on the recording end. So I hope that the recording's fine because I've had it. There's been a couple moments where that happens to you, where I'm like, I'm oh, sure really? the master the recording's fine. Ooh, excellent. Maybe it's just our rage makes us like. Uh, um, Okay, um, yes, no, we should do Javert being gay first, and then if I have time, remind me about the two white boys. Oh, yes. Um, so, like I said earlier, Andrew Davies um, was saying how he found it so weird that it's protagonist there. never fucked a woman on the screen. <laughs> um, so he says this, um, perhaps the biggest question was how to represent the sexuality of its two principal characters. He was surprised to discover that in Hugo's night, uh, sorry, in Hugo's 1862 novel, thank you, by the way, we always love a reminder of the date because we don't remember it. Um, in Hugo's 1862 novel, neither character mentions any sort of sexual experience, leaving the 82-year-old screenwriter wondering, at least in the case of Javert, whether it was indicative of a latent homosexuality. This is a quote from Andrew Davies. His obsession with Jean Valjean represents a kind of perverse, erotic mm -hmm. love, Davies says. And we love that. We love homosexuality being associated with the per word perverse. That's never had any 
bad meaning before. Bartholomew and Javert both seem to be virgins, which is so extraordinary. You know, two mature men. We don't have any account of either of them having a loving relationship or a sexual relationship. Maybe sex is unimportant to Javert. And then having met Jean Valjean, he gets so annoyed with him that he develops this kind of obsession, which is like a twisted love affair. What? I did toy with the idea of letting Javert have loveless sex with a 50-year-old prostitute just as a matter of cleaning the pipes out, but I changed my mind. It seemed better to have him be purely dedicated to the job. Andrew Davies, everyone. Andrew Davies. <laughs> my favourite part of this, um, apart from the perversion and the twisted love affair, is um, Andrew Davies saying he toyed with the idea of letting Javert have loveless sex with a 50-year-old prostitute. Because, as, little a, treat. as a little treat, Javert gets to have heterosexual sex with, and again, Andrew Davies is an 82-year-old man, but he definitely is saying 50-year-old prostitute here because he believes that a sex worker who is above the age of probably 12 is too old. And um, should, should I say that on... Oh, well, it's in there now. <laughs> um, oh, I completely derailed myself <laughs> by... Uh, <laughs> I was being being an 82-year-old man. He definitely sees this 50-year-old sex worker to be so old and decrepit and ugly that Javert has to just, like, fuck out his homosexual feelings <laughs> for Jean Valjean on this, like... Ugly old woman. <laughs> Can you even imagine being fifty-year-old and having sexual intercourse? <laughs> what does it like? What does? What are you saying about how you see love, Andrew Davies? <laughs> when you when you say you, you don't know anything about his sex life? Oh, but then he gets a bit obsessed with a. Uh, with, with Jean Valjean and that kind of sorry I keep hitting the mic that kind of what was his words I'm gonna something something you know relentlessly chasing after him this obsession is kind of like love and for that reason oh, he's no. gay. Oh, yeah. what does that say about you and the way that you how, how do relationships and love work to you to say that line? Like, that's not the worst part of that line. Everything about mm -hmm. it's bad. Like, but just yeah, even hadn't just even thought about was, that. Yeah. Just as a fucking, even if you said that about straight characters, I would be like, whoa, there's some flags. Mm, mm, mm. Like that, the only idea of love that he has in his mind is 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 like stalking someone and like relentlessly hounding them mm, until they submit it. to you <laughs> and that's just uh, that's just in picking one point of the train wreck of that <laughs> sentence just like i'll let you unplug the pipes like oh thanks <laughs> I have, that thank you so much that's what i really have been craving actually i don't know if it was made clear in this book but victor hugo wrote a fair bit about me and actually went out of his way to say that me and jean Valjean, like we're both quite celibate actually so it's not that our relationship with sex is not mentioned in the books it is in fact explicitly mentioned 
But uh, but thanks for that one, actually, Davies. I've just been like waiting all these t- all this time. I just needed an eighty-two-year-old screenwriter <laughs> to tell me that I needed to like have loveless sex with a fifty-year-old sex worker. Like, oh, it, it makes so much sense to me. It, yeah, it has to be loveless. He's a homosexual. He can't actually have feelings for a woman, Stevie. Jesus Christ. You have to repress yourself. If he, okay, if he'd done that scene, if he'd, mm. let's pretend he'd like have taken the time to give this, to let this all play out. He'd give it enough mm-hmm. screen time. It would happen and it would be like, There'd be no sound except for like muffled. Their panting would be like muffled. Yeah. So it's almost like he's trapped in their head. Okay. And then we're going to cut to a scene of him. There's not a shower in the old times, but you know, whatever the equivalent (laughs) is. And he's like, it starts with, and then there's still like white noise. He starts like cleaning himself off. Mm like fairly sedately looking into middle distance and then it becomes more frantic he just feels so filthy at this thing that's happened and you can see in his eyes this isn't what he wanted cut away and like he's like scrubbing his his skin until it's like raw and like he's like really frantic and it's the most emotion that we've seen on his face so far it's just so powerful and emotive and that was the uh spirit of andrew davies uh just like Making sure, because like he didn't have the time to put that scene, there wasn't enough time. But he needed mm-hmm. to make sure that we knew how that went. And um, mm-hmm. I just, I'm sorry that I had to be the conduit for that. But I'm pretty confident <laughs> that if we ever get the uh, cut bits of that script, it will almost be word for word that. <laughs> it will be exactly like that. Like I could, I could design you the foley right now. I could design, do the sound design, and I could like. <laughs> Um, send it to the BBC and they could be like how did you get this? This never should have made it outside of these walls Maybe even uh, but maybe So I guess we have much. to make our fan film porno <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Of the goddamn scene of the worst one of the worst lines, not the worst line but he's uttered some bad lines it's gotta be in the top ten bad, horrible bad lines that Davies has said like in an interview he just like said that he said that and knew someone was gonna write it down I kind of wanted to mention Rivette but I guess he's not that important no he'll I mean, get his own I'm, one I'm g- <laughs> he gets his own little mini I don't know if it's like too long to be but what I couldn't help but thinking you know watching what the amount that I did of BBC Lemire's and like us talking about it so much in the lead up to now and like talking about it now it's like the antithesis of Oranaki Tabiji my favorite uh i know I'll, i will never shut up about it but my favorite interpretation of Le Mis because it was like this story like the feeling of the story is still relevant but we are in a different day and age in some ways mm. so the the like feeling of it is the same and so beautiful but you must tell it in a different way for a modern audience and mm-hmm. it was that thing like with this one that you're like okay you could have with BBC Le Mis, uh, I'm having so many thoughts that won't come out in a <laughs> the correct order um, <laughs> you know with like anime devs and subs <laughs> when mm-hmm. a character in an anime is say like it's not from Tokyo um, that, that came up so much with Orinaki Tebuji the like different accents Japanese accents mm-hmm. like the more like 
that Junpapa had the more like country accent and in an anime if a character isn't from Tokyo in a dub they'll be given like a more southern American accent to you know Mm. so that we in the America or England you know that we know that that's what they're doing with that Mm -hmm. so yeah having if for a more like modern version of Les Mis that makes sense to a current day audience surely because like I think we've we've spoken about this before that you know when it came when the book Les Mis first came out and they there hadn't been characters who were convicts who were good whereas you know modern Mm -hmm. day you know we see a lot more of that if Jean Valjean had been black and Javert had been white Mm. that would be more like you know with things that are going on in the world right now that would be more of a story that needs to be told that Jean Valjean is good but like is seen by a lot of society as this like big scary man but like has this like pure as gold heart and like wants to do better and help his community that you're like that would be the more relevant retelling than this version that you've done in the same well like not just in that way mm. that's not like the only way you could do that but you know like with Arunaki Tabaji being like more people survived this version because actually that is how in this day and age having self-actualization and learning mm. and kindness makes more sense if more of these characters survive and grow from the experience and it is different it's so different from the book but the feeling and the lessons are there more starkly than in this BBC Les Mis version. I don't know how co- coherent that was. I don't think it was particularly coherent. But um... no, it's very coherent, and it is. And and similarly with the Lajli film from uh, the same year, um, that he also localized it. Like there, like I, I feel like what you were trying to say is it is something that is like talked about quite a lot adaptation is a translation and you are translating the story for an audience and largely said well like you know he made this film as a documentary maker who lives in Montferme and who lives in his community of black people who are abused by white police people that he changed the he changed the story in order to make it um, appropriate, an, an appropriate translation for the modern day. And that means at the end, the barricade boys essentially don't die. They remain, uh, there's a stalemate at the end, um, spoiler alert for the film, but um, they, like the final shot of the film is the standoff between the police and the boys. Um, these black boys from the community who have been like sexually and violently harassed on the streets and it 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 means more in the society because largely isn't making a film that's fictional he's making a essential it's a fictional story it's like these mm. characters are fictional characters but it's not a fictional issue that's happening right mm. now and he can't tie it up with a bow at the end and say you know um but the pretty white girl lives at the end, so that's what's fine. Like he he can't and doesn't do that. Um, and and what you were saying about um, if Valjean had been black, though I I included this tweet um, in my essay, and I thought it was quite funny because you almost said it word for word. Which is um, so there were two tweets by this guy, person on Twitter called John Hatter, 
who said, I think if Valjean had been black, a bunch of Americans would, would have cheered for Javert. On further reflection, he probably would never have met Javert. He would have probably been shot because the arresting officer thought that the loaf of bread was a weapon. And it's like... Yeah. It, it would join a long list of things that people have been killed for. And, mm. um, and, and also the point that you made pretty earlier, um, that, that the story that is being told of a black Javert chasing a white Jean Valjean is the more interesting one because it is the more fictional one. <laughs> it's mm. the like uh, speculative fiction. And in that way it is colorblind because it, it like isn't as reflective of society. And if they did have the time to explore that dynamic in an appropriate way, it would be so interesting. And I think Oyelowo actually in an interview did say that, like he did say that he found he uh, initially didn't really want to take the role because he was like, oh, Javert's just a villain. And he tried really hard in the show to make mm. him more than just like a, a two-dimensional guy who was just like a cop looking for a criminal. He desperately wanted to make his character into a human being, giving him like, you know, plot and to make him not just an antagonist, but like um, someone with motivation and stuff. But he can't do that when he is only one person. He can't do that when he's only one character. And if the entire show had been written by Oyelowo and directed by him or people who thought like us, then it would have been with the same cast even, mm. like, you know, not even sh reshuffling the roles, but just like literally just spending two more seconds acknowledging that race and gender and sexuality did affect how their characters were treated and not just in the well obviously he's black so everyone hates him but in a way that like the barricade boys Kufarak is a mixed race black kid and if they explored that and why he maybe want to join in this rebellion it would have been like they could even have kept the script <laughs> if they just added like a couple of moments of self-awareness mm. Um, yeah, because I feel like we've said that even earlier over the course of this, where you're like, mm -hmm. oh, this could have been interesting when it's, you know, somebody else thinking about it in a different way. But you don't get to have that BBC Les Mis because that wasn't how you were thinking of this. That's not how you treated this. That Yeah, they, they had some raw materials that could have been interesting if they weren't used to make, like, we want to make Les Mis more horrible, actually. <laughs> There wasn't even a moment, like, and they could never have predicted this, but there, um, so the first shot of the, like, protest scene, um, in, in this show, in episode five, I think it is, um, so, you know, like, Lamarck is dead, and so mm. all the barricade boys are, like, um, crowding, and, you know, there's this huge crowd, and then standing opposite them is a line of police people on horseback, and, um, it's an aerial shot, and you see the, the line of horse, like, so the protest starts getting bigger and bigger, and then the line of horses, like, um, spear, starts to spear into the crowd, and then the crowd starts running away. And there are a couple of shots, and literally a year later in London at a Black Lives Matter protest, there was a line of police officers on horseback, and they rode into a crowd of protesters. And there is a shot that looks almost exactly the same, except, you know, one is... Uh, France in the 19th century and one is London in the 21st century and even 
even not knowing, you know, that a year later that would be something that still is happen like is literally happening one for one in our society because of like protesting against income equality and police brutality. I I wonder how much of the creative team saw the Black Lives Matter protest probably on the news because they probably mm-hmm. weren't there and even like associated those shots mm. with each other. I mentioned earlier that the Tenardiers, so they have um, these three mixed race children um, who go from being very white passing to being black coded. And then there are two uh, more sons who never get named. They're called the little boys in the script. And in the Hugo novel, they're, I think, also just called little boys. And they are the biological children of Tenardier, the Tenardiers, um, who get abandoned even earlier than Gavroche are. And um, in the TV show, they are two white boys. They have two scenes. Well, the first one um, is a canonical one. It's from the novel where Gavroche uh, finds these two boys and he like teaches them how to um, basically survive on the streets. He kind of adopts them as his little soldiers and he like um, buys some bread for them and he steals some things for them and he like provides for them for a bit. And if you watch this TV show and probably even if you know quite a lot about Les Mis, these two characters, these two Tenardier boys, the little boys, you probably wouldn't know that they were Tenardiers um, unless you were like... I didn't clock that <laughs> until you said it just a second. Yeah, so like, they're, they're, you know, you probably have to have read the novel and like really maybe twice to know that, like, you know, not not like in an elitist way, but like it's not like a fact that's like super well known. So if you watch the TV show, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see Gavroche and these two little boys and be like, oh, those three are biological siblings. <laughs> and so the last scene of BBC PBS's Les Mis, we cut away from Valjean's death and Cosette and Marius being, oh, so sad, but he was so peaceful and he's white, so he's happy now, it's fine. Um, to Back to Paris, and we see the, these two little white boys sitting on the street, holding their hands out, begging for money and it's kind of like um oh but don't forget audience as the screen cuts to black um and you probably see yourself you know in the reflection of your screen um don't forget that income inequality still affects us to this day and it really is like that thing that a lot of middle class white people say when they're like oh, um, uh, you can't complain about racism because the people who are actually worst off are working class white people. And it's like, you, well, it's not black people and it's not people of colour who have created income inequality mm-hmm. for British, English, white working class people. It is, in fact, you, the middle class and aristocratic people who have created income inequality. inequality. I, I think of all the things that really annoyed me is that Azelma, the like middle Tenardier child, she's never seen again after like um, she's taken away from prison in a scene. She she basically has no lines, but we do know her. We recognize her as a character who's been in five episodes of this TV show and she's completely forgotten about. And it's not her that we see at the end, the like mixed race black woman who is suffering from income inequality, but these two pitiful white boys. And again, this isn't to say that, (laughs) this isn't to say that white boys 
white working class boys don't suffer from income inequality because they do and white people do suffer from income inequality but that there have been set up black women and people of color who who we as an audience have associated with and aligned ourselves with and um hopefully sympathized Mm -hmm. with but that these are not the people who deserve to have the final ending screen of sadness and humanity (laughs) it's it's like it's it it, for me it's the cherry on the top of Mm. the cake or it's like all of these people can suffer all of these black people can die all of these people of color can be criminals the three white protagonists can live happily to the end of their peaceful lives but these two working white cl- working class white boys don't forget about them because they truly are the most miserable of society the end <laughs> it was already because like, i didn't clock them as being tenario kids like i knew that mm. they were like Gavroche has a little crew that he looks out for. So it was already mm. like right there with you. But then like now here like, oh, the 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 Tenardier kids who are alive at the end, just the, the two white ones. Okay. Like mm-hmm. it is the the theme with this BBC then is every time you're like, can get much worse. <laughs> you're like, oh, here's one more piece of information. <laughs> like yeah, I don't know. Like it was already really bad. I don't know why. Like that does that does just make it feel worse, though, doesn't it? That you're like mm-hmm. not. I mean, it's not just these two random white kids. It's like all of the all of the kids who weren't white mm-hmm. are dead or forgotten. And, and like um, the Gavroche when he was like dancing in the street, and then he gets like shot, you know, and mm. killed. And then it get it cuts to. I, I think you said this when we were on the Zoom together the most smug looking white man who has just killed yeah. him. And it's like, there is absolutely no reason for this, this, this like captain of the guard or whoever he is to look smug at killing this child. But it like looks so much like he has enjoyed, he hasn't enjoyed killing anyone else and he doesn't enjoy killing either Andras or Grantaire later. He doesn't have this smug smile later who are both white, by the way, if he needed to be told. But oh, Killing this little black kid with his huge afro. Yeah, he's gonna smile at that. Yeah, one. that one wasn't his duty. I'll do that one for free. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh. That was so the vibe. Yeah. So <laughs> in this two parter. <laughs> yeah, in this two part episode. I guess this is really happy new year. Um I feel like this is like oh yeah, this is actually an episode that's gonna go out in like January, so you know. <laughs> New start, new year, new start. Twenty twenty one. I hope it's treating us differently. Yeah. <laughs> differently in some way. That doesn't necessarily mean good. Yeah. In this post Brexit world. Oh my god! I didn't even get to say one of my favorite facts about the oh, TV go on. show. So, um, the Telegraph, the Daily Telegraph, which is a Brit. A British newspaper they're very very conservative and uh, I was actually surprised because I read this one article um, about the um, about the production um, and about the colorblind stuff and uh, it's written by a guy called Jasper Reese um, and it said 
There will be grief in the usual quarters that colorblind casting sacrifices period accuracy on the altar of what some may dismiss as political correctness. But yet another exhausting trip down this rabbit hole is surely beneath us all. Those arguing for white-only casts in classic ad adaptations should logically also insist that Hugo's characters speak French and all other fashions be absolutely bang on. And I was like, wow, Reese, like, that is very... Ooh, telegraph. Um, yeah, like surprising like the telegraph isn't a rag it's not like um it's not like mm. the daily mail but it's getting there it's like pretty yeah, shit yeah you'd expect at least like if they wouldn't outright say it you know just a, some like gentle grumbling yeah and, and so the next thing that jacob reese says in this is that um the historical consultant robert so uh Professor Robert Toombs probably wasn't asked for his thoughts on the casting of Adil Akhtar as Tenardier and David Oyelowo as Javert. And I was like, oh, okay, so he definitely doesn't actually believe that people of colour existed in 19th century France. He's just mm -hmm. saying this, you know, pretty words. And I was like, okay, actually, who is Professor Robert Toombs? Because I'm interested in who the historical consultant on this TV show is. And so I googled Professor Robert oh. Toombs and he teaches um, French uh, at Cambridge, I believe, uh, French uh, history. He's also a virulent Brexiteer whose columns in the Daily Telegraph are all, like, okay, no, not all, majority about how Remainers, so people who want to remain in the EU, are all babies whining about blah, blah, and these liberal snowflakes. He literally says mm -hmm. the words liberal snowflakes um, and the woke left. His other articles in the Telegraph, one of them was about Black Lives Matter. Oh, are we clenching? Are we clenching? Um, and about how in the UK, we, uh, Black Lives Matter protesters have been pulling down statues. And he was like, it's just the woke left's clumsy attempt to start a nihilistic culture war and offend as many people as possible. Um, and in pulling down these statues, these protesters are scapegoating heroes as a fun way to break lockdown and feel virtuous with no effort. He also has another one about empire, uh, about the British empire. And um, so, uh, recently, the British government decided that colonialism shouldn't be being taught in the UK and that we also shouldn't be taught critical race theory, which, you know, is really fun. Toome starts off by making the very good point, actually, that um, we should be being taught empire because it's very important to know history in order to avoid it. He then goes on to say that the successes of African rulers and trailers were among the biggest profiteers from slavery, actually. So it was actually black people's fault that, um, it was actually African people's fault that slavery uh, happened. That the British Empire was actually as, you know, bad as we, we say it is. It was basically, it was short-lived. It was run on a shoestring. It was run <laughs> shackle. And it was basically, it was only functioning based on the willing cooperation from those it rather nominally ruled. And also, Toombs reminds us that we celebrate our diversity in England. We are proud of our unique global connections. Both of these are legacies of the empire, which we need to remember, and parts of it even celebrate. That's right. Robert Toombs here saying that colonialism was good, actually, because now we have diversity. It's not the take I was expecting. <laughs> 2020 slash 21. Whatever year that this comes out, um, but uh, uh, a hot, a hot take. <laughs> definitely a hot take. He um he 
So Cambridge University has started doing this like investigation into colonialism in the university. And again, Robert Toombs makes a good point that this investigation is going to scapegoat individuals rather than the university as a whole. And so that is a criticism. And so he gives like, you know, he's like, you know, we should pay repara reparations for the enslavement of um, African peoples by providing scholarships at the Cambridge University for African students. But on the wider theme of exploitation of labour, Cambridge has benefited vastly more throughout its 8th century existence from the sweat of English labourers, <laughs> many of them serfs, than of plantation slaves. <laughs> Their working class descendants today are the least represented group among Cambridge students. Here is the modern impact of exploitation that the university could appropriately acknowledge and try much harder to repair. That's right, guys. It's not black people who need reparations for slavery. It's actually white working class people. So... Says the fucking dude who knows he's seconds from being done for being a colonialist. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, actually, literally. if you really think about it, then, um, we shouldn't be going after individuals. Like, we're like, no, 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 we should do the institution, but um, some individuals too, please. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it may, yeah, it like is not surprising that Easy, uh, we got in the TV show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I'm Andrew yeah. Davies. I'm gonna need the oldest, whitest, <laughs> and I'm gonna need four H's on that white man that you can find for me. I'm gonna need to look very liberal. Stood next to him. Please and thank you. <laughs> Andrew Davies, like he has Andrew Davies, like I've never read an interview where Andrew Davies has talked about Robert Toombs, but you can like if Stevie we get um sued for defam defamation um of Andrew Davies from this for podcast. quoting his own word back to him. <laughs> <laughs> but please continue. <laughs> If we are sued from this, I hope beyond anything that he like tries to bring out Robert Toombs as his like. Oh no! It, I it was it wasn't me. I, I it was it was him. It was, it was my cultural consultant. Actually, I'm just a poor old white man. And I... <laughs> uh, what what is it the there's not, there's not like a catch or like, and these are just our opinions so that you can't get done for defamation. Um, and these are just are my opinions. <laughs> these are just um, um, are the opinions of the, uh, <laughs> not the opinions of the podcast as a whole, just uh, the opinions of the individuals. <laughs> these are the opinions of me, Nemo Martin, an individual who has no power whatsoever. <laughs> uh, it, it occurs to me as well that like, so I work between, you know, academia and the arts. So I have an equal amount of being called out by both Andrew Davies and Robert Toombs. Because it occurs to me that Robert Toombs is an academic in the same field as mm. I am. Oh, I can't wait till, you know, like the most fun I ever had when I did that episode where I was like, here's the smackdown that happened between these two literary people. I'm going to be sat live in the seminar where you both stand up and just like tear into each other. <laughs> I'll start crying though. That's the thing. I can't do it live. Oh. Like I have to be doing a podcast about <laughs> it. Otherwise, you know, Nemo, that I, I, if you started to cry, I'd stand up and take over. But that's not a good look when we're like, don't need to, <laughs> sir. But wait a 
second, my white cis friend is going to need to come fight this battle for me. But it's not okay when you do it. <laughs> but you know I would if I could. Yeah, no, I I wouldn't I wouldn't have it any other way. As I like he he could literally like stand up and I'd start like. <laughs> I'm your dance mom stood behind him, just like pulling angry faces to remind you what you're meant to be doing. Uh, I, I'm just gonna like throw some more quotes at you that Andrew Davies mm-hmm. has said because like I, I just remember yeah just one more I, I, I wrote this part right at the end because you know I, I'd gone into the deep dives of like not just racism but colorism um, not just queer phobia but transphobia race, race class disability and I was like oh shit I haven't even talked about like literally the most simple level of like a lot of criticism, literary criticism these days, which is feminist criticism, right? Like that's pretty much, I would say a good majority of criticism mm. these days. Like the, it's not the rising trend because it's been a trend for a while, but like feminist theory has been a very interesting lens to read a lot of yeah. fiction through. And like, I got to the end of this essay and I was like, oh shit, I hadn't even <laughs> like talked about how women are treated in this show. Get and in like, line, women. I was like, oh yeah, yeah exactly. You're the least oppressed <laughs> yeah. in this. Um, I mean, to be fair, like literally Cosette is shouts at every person of colour she meets and like she sees Eponine, she has no reason to distrust her and she immediately goes Karen and is like, she looks evil, she looks like, and it's like, all right, shut up. You called the cops on this like black woman because she like dared to look at you. Davies bemoans the lack of droopy, soppy girls on screen, making jokes that it is now compulsory to include powerful leading ladies on screen in a post-hashtag MeToo era. That's right, he's using the global movement to support survivors and victims of sexual abuse as something negative. It's like, cool. (laughs) Did Cosette utilise girl boss power? When she called the cops on Eponine for no reason. <laughs> she did, though. Like, that, like, she, like, even the, it was actually kind of funny as well, because he did two interviews, one in, um, I think it was The Guardian and one in The Daily Mail. And in The Guardian one, Davies was like, another problem that he need that needed solving was Cosette. Um, she's a pretty nauseating character in the book. So, Davies, so Davies had has made her strong and optimistic rather than just an idealised figure who doesn't add anything at all. And then he went on to the um, mm. Daily Mail and said, the, like, I just want to write girls. I have to write powerful leading ladies in the Me Too, because Me Too. And then, like, in the show, she's, like, she's infuriatingly, like... And, and another thing I said in this essay is that she does make a point that Valjean does keep her locked up and that is not right. He, she should be let out. She should be allowed to be her own woman. But the way that she does this is by like ritualistically shouting and what's the word I'm looking for? Verbally, like verbally abusing the other women in the show. And and the show treats like, so Cosette's favourite wo- lines in the show are like, this is worse than prison. Oh You're locking me up here. And stuff and it's like okay yes you should not be locked up but the way that the script 
rights women who are actually imprisoned like I haven't got it on me but Davies like describes this prison that the Tanadier women are locked in and it's like oh there are prostitutes and okay he's he doesn't say the words sex sex worker and uh uh people who should be getting mental health help uh he says a lot of slurs and it's like you can't have Cosette by, by getting pity for like being imprisoned by Valjean when you are then either abolish all prisons or like shut the fuck up, Davies, um, is the point mm. I'm trying to make. I'm not coherent now after two hours <laughs> of like shouting yeah. into the microphone. Like, but, like, you would, from you just, because that was from an episode I didn't watch, from you describing mm. those two different scenes, you would, mm. one, would want like assume or like one being I guess me not Davies that that's being set up and I'm like oh she like it, it she shouldn't be locked up by her father but you know the the almost naivety of being like this is worse than prison and then going back to like mm. oh but this is what that actually looks like and what someone going through that another female character going through that that's what that's actually like but it doesn't sound like it was as a like oh Cosette doesn't realize that so yes full picture a couple of scenes later because she shouts this at Jean Valjean Jean Valjean takes her out of the house and he knows that a chain gang is going to be coming through town and so he takes her to see the chain gang and Davies changes the scene because this is a this is a scene that happens in uh the novel in the novel, it's a accident that Bajan, Cosette, and this chain gang are all together at the same place. And Bajan is like, you know, trying to make sure that Cosette doesn't see because he's still like ashamed of his past. Um, whereas in the show, Bajan uses this as a as a like, haha, gotcha. No, prison is a lot worse than sitting in this pretty garden, Cosette. Like as you say, like the spike setup kind of thing. But yeah, in the TV show, she sees all of these people and is like oh, they're so horrible, I would rather die than look at any of them. And it is supposed to make Valjean feel like, oh shit, Cosette will never trust me because like, I can't ever come out to her as someone who used to be in a chain gang. But that's not the effect that it has because that's not dissected. Like, as you say, it's not like addressed mm. appropriately. Again, they, 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 do, <laughs> they set up all these things and then they just don't Nothing talk about them. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then it's just really shitty and like, I'm not someone who has been to prison, so maybe this is not fair for me to say. But I feel like if I had been, and I had seen like the scene previous where um, the Tenardier women are like hovelled together in a like crowded, dirty prison, and they're abused by the... um, the jailer as well who is seen as righteous in the scene but they are like abused by her and then I saw the scene where Cosette who is in her beautiful fur coat in her like beautiful green garden shouting at her dad that this is worse than prison and then I saw the scene where Cosette looks at a group of prisoners and goes they're inhuman and disgusting and I never want to see them again what you don't take away from that is like she just doesn't no, she's naive mm. or like these prisoners need to be treated with respect. What you take away from it is, yeah, those criminals are all dirty and horrible, 
oh, it's so shocking that she has to see that. And she might have a wider context of what prison actually looks like now. But but she is still right that these prisoners are horrible people. And it's more, it's a threat rather than mm. uh, a piece of education. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't at all the point or anything that we're getting at, but like listening to that now, I, I don't know how it goes down in the book. I look forward to when we get to it. But you're like, Jean Valjean, you didn't raise her to be very nice. I guess that's what happens when you're not <laughs> very nice. You raise a daughter that's not very nice. Like, you raised her. And she's saying that and you're yeah. surprised. <laughs> That's what happens. Yeah, literally. But that that really is like when you take away the chain as well from writer to character to audience. And 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 then you go writer to character to character to character to audience and writer to character to character to plot to audience. And you take kindness away from the protagonist in a show that is supposed to be, or in a in a in a story that is supposed to be about kindness. Then what an audience takes away from it, and what Cosette takes away from it, and what the town of Montreal sur Mer takes away from it, and what Valjean takes away from it, and what the writer has said is that kindness means nothing. It's all about money. <laughs> <laughs> wow, the most capitalist piece of media? Question mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally. Wow. This is what happens when you cut out the most important character, fate. <laughs> Sorry, I just I like literally before we started recording I've I've been editing another episode to be released today. And it was um uh you mentioned um Javert needing glasses and I was like actually this is what happens when you cut out the most important character Javert's glasses are they mentioned in the show in the story of Hugo no they're not but they are the most important we both have our fan favorites but didn't Davies literally say like I've had enough of these um coincidences yeah he did which like yes uh we have all who hasn't in their time made fun of Victor Hugo for all his fake? But like at this point, it is its mm. own character. Like destiny is such a fucking ridiculously huge force in this book, mm-hmm. um, and that was a mildly relevant point to that. Instead of like, oh, they happen to come across this chain gang that Jean Valjean's like, oh, I'm gonna punish her by showing her them, and then he's like, oh, this didn't go how I wanted. No, that that is actually a really that is a really good point, actually. One that I hadn't thought about. And when you take away the role of fate and you try and find reasons for it, but you don't make the reasons good enough, that's how you get a really racist TV show. Because we are trying to fill in the blanks mm. and the blanks left by fate are things like why does Javert care so much? And why do the police people hate Javert so much? And why does blah, 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 why, you know, all these things. And every time in the show, it's, well, because he's black or because he's a person of colour or because he's queer or because he's disabled or because he's blah, blah, blah. Like, if you are not a cis, het, white, middle-class person, that is the reason why you get why you are part of the miserable people, not because of just fate and destiny and because humanity mm. is, you know, yeah. It's a, yeah, a very good <laughs> rounding up point. The death of fate and the rise of racism. A lame story by the BBC. 
<laughs> I'm going to write that down. The death of fate and the rise of racism. <sighs> we used to do, like, the occasional two-hour special, so... Have you all missed this? If assuming this hasn't been cut into two, <laughs> I don't know why I thought that we could sum up our thoughts and feelings in like a, a, a nice forty-five yeah. minute. Uh, <laughs> too much to say. There's there more to, to say. say. I know that you've got twenty k of it coming yeah, to a bookstore yeah. near you. Nemo's take. Oh my god! Hopefully, one day I, love that. I will actually be able to publish my defamation of Andrew Davies. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. Anyway, this has been Bread and Barricades, a Lamos podcast. It was produced by me, Nemo Martin, and Julian Yap. It was audio directed by Jade, who you can find on her website, jadewasabi.com, or on her bandcamp, jadewasabi.bandcamp.com. If you would like, as we said at the beginning, the ASML, <laughs> ASMR cut of this episode, which is probably five to ten, ten minutes, minutes of us attempting i'll still edit it down a little bit because it's probably uh, no they pay for it they get it raw okay okay and you'll get to see finally how many ums and ahs i cut out of every single episode let me tell you it's a lot um <laughs> uh, <laughs> then please donate to our Kofi or our patreon uh which you can find in the show notes um, if you have any comments, questions, or quibbles about this episode, slash you worked on the BBC production and you would like to give us some insider tips, you can send us an email, lamospodcast at gmail.com, L-E-S-M-I-S podcast at gmail.com, or on Twitter at lamospodcast, or on Tumblr at Bread and Barricades. I'll say this again, if you're a lawyer, don't at me. This is my personal opinion, and... Uh... <laughs> anyway... Um... Send us what you thought. Defame yourself too. Join yeah, us. maybe maybe if we get enough people uh, sending us their thoughts on the BBC layman's, whether it's about racism or gender or things we haven't talked about, things that we didn't notice because you know I personally do focus on uh, gender and race. Um, yeah, but... and you've got me in the bumper car to be like, that was religious imagery. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god, we didn't uh, anyway. This was our um, quibbles. We can have yeah. a future. We had a lot of interesting thoughts. I don't know if they're interesting. I found them interesting. Maybe we'll come back yeah. to you with like, did you notice this? Did you see? They were trying to live up to Hugo's uh, Jesus imagery. <laughs> so yeah, if you have any thoughts about it, please do send us an email or any kind of uh, telegram. <laughs> Write us a letter. I'm not putting my address on the internet, actually, so um, people can't dox me, <laughs> especially Andrew. If you flush your letter you. down the toilet, uh, because we've been spending so much time reading Lamers, we now also, unfortunately, have a strong connection with the sewers, the same way that he yeah. does. It will get to us. And did you know that all world sewers are linked together? So it doesn't matter where you are in the It'll world. It'll get to us. <laughs> and thanks for being here for it. I think. Thanks for being here. Let us know if you even made it to the end, really. I feel like you really are a, a, a top-class act if you have made it this far um, into this episode, which is literally just me and Stevie getting angry at an old white man. Though, to be fair, that is our podcast. <laughs> it could not have been more on brand. Da, 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 da. <laughs>